step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. The history of the NBA is a rich tapestry of personalities, stories, and the biggest of moments. From Russell Celtics to the Showtime Lakers, Jordan's Bulls to Curry's Warriors, the league has offered plenty to its followers and fans. My name is Josh Cornelison, and I'm the host of Hardwood History. Join me as we unpack the stories of the NBA's past to better understand the NBA's present, and have a lot of fun along the way. Our first episode drops October 26th, and every Wednesday and Friday there'll be something new, so check it out at the 94 Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to the first in-season episode of the 94 NBA podcast. I'm one of your hosts, as always, Eric Spiropoulos. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros NBA. It is the night. Uh, it's actually almost midnight, but it's still October 19th. We're recording pretty late on at night on the East Coast. Um, Corbin, first of all, how are you doing tonight? Yo, I'm excited. The season started. Been some fun games. I wish I was as ballsy as Jimmy Butler to <laughs> boo at the crowd after he'd been booed while he's playing the game. Like, Come on, man. It's Jimmy's world. We're all living in it. But other than that, I'm doing great. <laughs> yeah, that really, that whole scene was crazy. He was getting booed. Then later in the game, he got MVP chance. I mean, he actually, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was, he balled out today. I think he got like 33 points. He missed only two shots the entire game. Um, he, on 12 shots, the efficiency yeah, in that. That was crazy. Um, yeah, that's a whole mess. I mean, there's just so much going on. So, so as of a recording, there's still a couple of games going on, but for the most part, the fourth night of the season now is almost in the books. Um, again, I always think that this episode is always the toughest or one of the toughest of the season because there's a lot of the stats don't really matter right now. Like a lot of them are, you know, don't probably won't even carry over to the, the, the entire course of the season. Performances could be total anomalies and just be like out of nowhere, random things. Um, and yet we have to fight that urge to overreact. Um, everyone is like, don't overreact, don't overreact, don't overreact. And yet we're probably going to do it at least like a couple of times in this episode. So this episode for me is always such a tough one because we want to analyze the games, but we don't really have enough of a sample size to know if it's actually relevant, you know? Exactly. No, and I'm all about the hot takes, but even <laughs> this is too hot for me because <laughs> It's so soon, you know? Yeah. It's three days in. Yeah, so what we're going to do, um, and this is for every episode moving forward, is we've, we're going to take the full court press segment. By the way, for all of anyone who hasn't listened to our episodes from last season, um, during the season we do a segmented show covering the 94 feet of an NBA court. Um, so we start with the full court press, then we go to our half court heave prediction segment, then we move to our three points, which is Corbin and I bring three different points to the table and we just discuss them out. Then we have a something foul, which is basically our worst of the week. And then we have an and one, which is basically something that we're looking forward to in the next week or so uh, of the NBA season. So for the for this season, we're going to transform the full court press segment into a mailbag segment each and every week. So we're going to ask for your questions on Twitter and Facebook and whatever. Get ready, because it's time for the full court press. A lot of good questions. Um, Let's start off with this first one from uh, Jackson Lloyd, someone we both know, at jlloyd952 on Twitter. And he asked a quick question. What is the best non-LeBron free agency signing? Uh, See, okay, so I I thought first one would have been Julius Randle, and I know it's too soon, but 
the impact he's made already in a couple of games has, has just been insane to me. Just from, I mean, the way he fits right in. And mind you, the reason I think he's one of the more impactful ones is not because of his actual play, although he's been very strong, but because I didn't think it was great of a match as as you did. Remember, we we talked about this, and I was more on the fence about it. I thought, oh, it'll fit in, but he's more, you know, of an opposite style and brings less shooting and whatever other reasons I had. But he's really been clicking. But one I'm going to name as well is Seth Curry. Mm-hmm. It's only been one game, but that contract, the two-year, $5.6 million, yes, there's a player option included, but he can really shoot. I mean, he played a couple minutes yesterday against the Lakers, and he's a great depth piece who's going to get a lot of run with the, with that guard lineup. I like him alongside um, C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard in select lineups. And with someone of his shooting caliber coming off a strong season in 2016-2017, um, the 2017-2018 season obviously marred by injuries, but another playmaker, another shooter, I think he's a sneaky good signing for um, the Trailblazers, even if it hasn't been, you know, fully realized just yet. Um, so my, I have to, after Thursday night, I'm pretty sure we should all agree that the best non-LeBron free agency signing was Nick Stauskas. Um, oh I mean, my God. 20, 24 <laughs> points on seven of 11 shooting, five of eight up from three. He was a plus 18 for the game. This dude came in and hit four straight three pointers. Um, the arena was erupting every time he, he let the ball go from beyond the arc. Um, obviously I don't think that's going to continue, but let me tell you, I mean, if he can become a better player this season, or at least knock down threes at an elite rate and play somewhat passable defense. Um, if he can just become an average bench player and you get Seth Curry there, um, you know, I, I mentioned this in one of the other questions um, uh, that we can kind of lump into this one, but I'll, I'll get to it in a little bit. But I mean, Stauskas, it's kind of a joke, but also like kind of a, just want to keep it in my mind to keep up and see how he continues because he's going to have a nice role. They, they let Pat Connaughton go and he kind of fills that role. I mean, Mo Harkless come off the bench as well, but you go with Curry and Stauskas and Harkless off the bench because the new thing that the Blazers are doing this year is that they don't want to stagger Lillard and McCollum. They basically want to play them exclusively together um, for the most part. So that means you're going to get Stauskas is going to get a big role. He played 27 minutes because he was hitting his shots on Thursday. But my real answer is the guy you just mentioned, Julius Randle. We've, we've both been on Randle Island for a while. And yeah, like you said, yes, I was sir. always, I was always really high on Randle's fit in New Orleans. Just the fast pace is going to, you know, allow him to thrive in transition. They're going to be more free flowing with him and let him to handle the ball. Um, in his first game against the Rockets, 25 points, eight rebounds, three assists. He followed it up tonight against the Kings um, with 13 points and 14 rebounds. The most intriguing thing I think about Randle's game so far is that he's three of six on three pointers. Which means yeah, that's whoa. Which means it is time to introduce hashtag Randall Watch, and the E in Randall is actually a three. <laughs> and this will be I'm gonna be t- I'm gonna be tweeting about this every game. I'm gonna check on this every single time they play. Um, I'm introducing hashtag Randall Watch, and again that E is a three wow. because if he can continue shooting. Um, one, it makes defenders guard him outside on the perimeter, which gives more space to AD or Amir Titch or even like a Drew Holiday trying to drive to the rim. And two, it just makes him a more modern player. I mean, we were talking about it. Every time we mentioned Randall and, and this signing in the offseason, we always talked about how he needs to stretch his game out a little bit at least to, you know, get a solid mid-range shot. But if he's just going straight for the three-pointers, I mean... Listen, he's not going to shoot 50% from the year. If he can hit 35% of, like, two attempts per game, that's a huge jump for him based on his previous season. So I'm introducing hashtag Randall Watch, and Julius Randall, for now, I think, was the best non-LeBron free agency signing. Hey, so far, I can't argue with you too much on that. We're going to see. But, yeah, he's been a great impact. I really wish he was in L.A. Like, I like that the Lakers have Rondo 
you know, it was basically a, exchange, a straight exchange. But I, I really would like to have seen Julius Randle with LeBron. Yeah, I mean, th- there really was no reason for them not to try and bring Randall back. Because uh, first of all, what what I'll talk about later is that they they need that center depth. I mean, he could be a center. He can be that provide that physicality for small ball. Um, yeah. handle, handle the ball in transition. Um, if he's working on his three, mobile enough on the defensive end, switchable exactly. Uh, I mean, really, just uh, it doesn't make sense why they didn't even try and bring him back. Um, especially when they, you know, Beasley and La- and Lance Steve. I mean, somebody. I mean, we can talk about the Lakers what they did in the offseason for, for probably a whole episode, but. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, see, well, that is a great transition, Eric. You know, you didn't believe it yourself, but um, <laughs> that leads us to a question from at report underscore court. And, you know, I just said something negative about the Lakers, so this may surprise you. But the question is, what is more likely to happen? The Lakers making the seventh seed or the second seed? And um, I'm about to surprise some people, actually. Oh, not boy. really, if you know me pretty well. <laughs> I'm going with the latter. I think it's more likely the Lakers to make the second seed, but hear me out. It's not because, I mean, the seventh seed is obviously a safe answer, and I'm not safe. I like to live on the edge. But also, I will not bet against LeBron James, even in a Western Conference, even on a team with a dearth of a, 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 a lack of outside shooting. I will not do it. And I think the shooting will come around as these, you know, players, a role, a role players especially. On the road, I, I, and again, I'm going to talk about this. I'm sure we're going to talk about this game later, but this game against Portland almost seems like an outlier to me because, yes, they, they shot a disturbing percentage from three. However, on the road, a lot of role players in general, their shots don't carry. I think on home, you know, the friendly confines at home, it'll be a little safer. I think that Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma, Alonzo Ball have to really come into their own. Uh, I, 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 there are certain players on this team that I feel are going to get much better development-wise. And once they get that gel with LeBron, with um, Rajon Rondo, Lance and, and Michael Beasley are there, and they'll make, you know, momentary contributions. But for the most part, they, they, they add some spice to the chemistry. And also, I'm not too high on the Rockets anymore. I mean, I wasn't high on them. Let me let me rephrase all of that. I wasn't too high on the Rockets after they lost Ariza and Bob Mute, and I was that one person who, you know, we kept having these conversations. I said, hey, those two are going to mean a lot more than people are, are, are giving them credit for. And, and after for, the record, game, the, for the record, yes. I did agree with you, for the record. Yes. Oh, yeah. You got to put it out there. You have to put it out there. Yes. But all of a sudden, I mean, they're looking a little more shaky to me the way they play. That was just I mean, it's one game. It's one game. But still, if if it was any as hot take alert, I have to draw something out of it because, you know, that's what we do these days. We take anything we can out of small sample sizes. And mine is that the Rockets are not as good a team. I mean, yes, there's the Utah Jazz in the area, but I'm going to say the Lakers have a good chance. And you're going to hit me with rationality and all that good stuff, but you heard my piece, okay? I just want to get that out. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this, obviously. Uh, oh, my God. We're, it's the seventh seed. And mainly, I know you said not to bet against LeBron, but I think there's a difference at this point in his career between betting against LeBron in the playoffs and betting against regular season LeBron that kind of takes off defensive possessions, um, doesn't really want to overexert himself. Um, or at least in case it wouldn't be the smartest thing for him to do. Um, and really, you look at it, and what the second seed, it probably is going to require at least 55 to up to like 57, 58 wins. And I just Let's don't, get it. I, <laughs> I just don't <laughs> think that they have the talent, the front court depth, or the shooting for that as the roster stands right now. I mean, I think that the concerns, again, it's only been one game, but I think the concerns were on 
a, a showcase in that first game of the poor shooting and the lack of a true center and rebounder. Um, the Blazers had 14 offensive rebounds in that game, and JaVale McGee can't really play more than like 20 minutes, and then after JaVale McGee, you're basically going instantly to small ball with a Kuzma or a LeBron at center, and you're going to get attacked on the boards, and then the shooting might not account for that on the offensive end, and, you know, I think that there's... There's nice pieces on this roster. There are veterans that kind of stick out, like a sore thumb, like a Lance and, and a Michael Beasley, um, which, you know, again, they're kind of overcrowding the roster and preventing those young players from getting big roles. Um, and I just don't think that they're going to be a good team. They're going to be a solid playoff team. They'll be a tough out in the first round or even, you know, be able to get to the second round because um, that's when LeBron turns things on in, in the playoffs. But regular season LeBron, plus the kind of concerns I have with this roster, I just don't see this team being, you know, a 55-win team or even upward to 57 or 58 wins because that's probably what it's going to take to win the second seed in the West this, this season. So they're going to be good, but I don't think they're going to be that good. It's more likely that they're the seventh seed. Uh, which isn't saying anything bad. I mean, last year, I think the seventh seed was what? Like, well, the seventh seed was probably like five or six games away from like the third seed. I mean, yeah, no, yeah, no, no, no. The seventh seed, three, something ranch. The seventh seed was, um, I'm actually going to pull it up. I don't know why. I'm just speaking off the top of my head. I can. I have a computer right in yeah. front of me. <laughs> Technology. Um, <laughs> so, okay, the second seed last year was the Warriors. They won 58 games. So, you know, if we're looking at that barometer, are the Lakers going to win 57, 58 games? I mean, I think if you asked. Mo- any of the most optimistic Lakers fans, they said they wouldn't say that high of a win total. Um, the third seed won 49 games. The seventh seed won 47 games. So, listen, I think that they're going to win seven games. They're going to be a comfortable playoff team. But getting up to 55, upwards of 58 wins this season, first year with LeBron, it's a process. They're figuring things out, how to play well, how to play at this fast pace. I don't see it coming together for a second seed. Eric, I have to make a confession. I just said they'd make the second seed to put up a front. I uh, I don't think they will. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we'll be lo- the Lakers will be lucky to crack fifty, and I think they'll be in play for that. But no, I mean, no. I mean, so I'm right there with you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I kind of I had a feeling that was it. And your rationality, you know, yeah. Sometimes you, sometimes <laughs> you do you do you do hear that rationality, and you're like, all right, I agree with it. <laughs> yeah, there's there's no. Uh, yeah, you're right. There's just too much going on. The West is too tough for a team that has this many, you know tangible weaknesses to really make that much of a dent, especially, like you said, with their best player known for taking regular seasons a lot less seriously. Um, yeah, so let's go on to another question. Uh, let's go to the Thunder, another team that's kind of be in that mix. Um, and this is from, again, the same uh, at, at report underscore core. Two great questions this week. Um, Good questions, buddy. Will Dennis Schroeder remain in the starting lineup once Russell Westbrook returns? Apparently, the report is that Westbrook is likely to return on Sunday. They're playing right now against the Clippers in the third quarter. Um, Up by four or six. Yeah, so I think that they might experiment with him and Russ until Andre Roberson comes back, maybe to just avoid starting like a Ferguson or a Brinas or um, a Hamadou Diallo. But I think that they could still go with that Keith Bogan start where they just, they start him and then they just pull him kind of instantly and then they barely play the rest of the game. Um, <laughs> just I mean, that's what they did in, the, in their first game. Um, and I think that they want to have maybe a more traditional rotation at point guard. I think that the shooting would be very shaky with having Russ and Schroeder on the floor at the same time. Um, you know, they could always stagger them if they started. Like, they could play them. They could start them and then, you know, Schroeder goes off, you know, five minutes in, then comes back in for Russ, like kind of what the Rockets do with Paul and Harden. Um, but I think that, 
I mean, they know that when Roberson comes back, he'll be their start. He'll be their fifth starter. So I feel like they kind of want to maintain that, and they can go for some more shooting with Alex Abrines. They can go for athleticism and, and youth and development with Ferguson and Diallo. Um, I think they stick with that in terms of using one of those role players, starting them, and then you know pulling them rather early into a game, uh, and just kind of plucking away there to keep you know shorter and more of a traditional backup point guard role. I agree with that. Billy Donovan has been known to keep rotations just as straight as he can, just to say continuity, even if there are, you know, better or more interesting matchups available. So I think he'll he'll do the same with, in this case until Robertson comes back. I am intrigued of a Russell Westbrook, Dennis Schroeder, Paul George, um, Stephen Adams, and Jeremy Grant lineup, just because I think it gives you enough flexibility, just enough shooting, and, and enough ball handlers and creators for both themselves and others. But I doubt that's going to be happening much more than select lineups. However, it, it is something to think about, and especially we consider with the lackluster play of that second wing on the Thunder on the court for the Thunder currently. Like on the one hand, Terrence Ferguson, who just bricked another three, I'm watching it right now. It, it has not really either a been aggressive or or b even consistent enough to play like a meaningful role, which puts a lot of pressure on Paul George. And then when Russell Westbrook comes back, it's just going to be those two. And that in that second guard. So I really wish they would make more of a um, what's it called? More of if Billy Donovan would make more of a concession to kind of switch things up. Yeah, and there is like an argument to just having your best players on the court um, at the same time, just starting your best five players when the, when the team isn't healthy. Roberson, you know, obviously a more important and key player when he's healthy. Um, so I think that they should definitely experiment with it, um, even if it's not just starting him, just playing Westbrook and Schroeder at the same time during the course of a game. Um, Heck, if they want to get crazy, I mean, against some of these bad teams, I think they play the Kings on Sunday. It would be kind of interesting just to see them start it and see how it works. I mean, there is an 82-game season for a reason. You can kind of experiment, and then that's how you figure out what your best rotations are, what your best duos are, uh, your best pairings in the front mm-hmm. court and back court. So I think they should definitely experiment with it. Maybe they do start it a couple times. I think, you know, moving Will forward, Donovan do that, though? Do you trust that? Like, watching no. him, you know, much the past two seasons, he's not that type of coach. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. I'm just like, I wish. It's just wishful thinking. I mean, because it, it doesn't really make sense not to experiment. I mean, you have 82 games. Some of those games are against really bad teams that are probably tanking anyway. So why not? Um, and yeah. ha- like Russell Westbrook, hashtag why not? That's his whole slogan right there. So, I mean, <laughs> there um, you are. Let's, I mean, I, I think they should do it. But I, I don't think it'll happen. But I, I'm all for experimentation in the regular season. Mm-hmm. Although to 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 be a devil's advocate, I I would contend that having Schroeder at the backup spot is a lot better. Not really a change of pace because he plays almost like a Westbrook light, but better for their bench than having a Raymond Felton who you know early returns are not positive so far for his play. Yeah, well, what they could do, I mean, they can start him and then like five minutes in, just pull Schroeder and put in like a Ferguson, Abrines, or Diallo, and then when Westbrook finally comes out after the end of the first, then put Schroeder back in to run the second unit. To run the second unit. That's a thought, yeah. That's too complex for Donovan, though, man. (laughs) I mean, that'd that'd be really the only way to do it and still have Schroeder be that backup point guard, which you pretty much need at this stage, um, with Felton being pretty inconsistent at this point. Yeah, true that. All right, well, we're going to go on to the next question here. That's all right. Mm-hmm. Um, by, oh, goodness. I feel like I know this guy, but the handle's off. At T. Windish. Yeah, yep, I think I'm going to go with that. At, at, at Ty Windish. Yeah. Okay. My fault, man. I'm sorry for butchering your handle. Are the Spurs going to make everybody look dumb by being a playoff team yet again? 
I'm just going to go and say yes and then hand it off to Eric to either confirm or deny my argument. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's too early to tell. I have them personally. I think personally I have them missing out because I think that the poor shooting and I think that the injuries are going to are really going to hamper them. Not having Murray not for the whole season, not having a white um or Lonnie Walker um for I think the next like 5 or 6 week six weeks each uh, is going to kill them. Um, I think they'll be able to, they're going to see the, the thing is that the Spurs, they might not have the, the, the most talent on a nightly basis, but they're going to out execute almost like 90% of the teams in this league. Um, I don't think anyone would, obviously no one would criticize you for picking the Spurs to make the playoffs, even with this kind of roster and this tough of a Western conference. Um, I just think that, their lack of shooting and their injuries will kind of get them off to a little bit of a slower start, in which case they're going to be playing catch-up with a team that's not exactly set up to play modern basketball. And I just think that the West is so tough. I mean, I think it really, it'll, it'll come down to them versus Portland. Um, I thought Portland, you know, their depth well, it was pretty impressive in that Lakers game. Obviously, you know, Lillard and McCollum can carry a team to basically 42 wins every season automatically. Um, so, again, early, too early to tell for both teams in terms of Portland and, and San Antonio. I think it comes down to those two teams. And I think that the Blazers mm-hmm. are just a setup a little bit better for modern basketball and, and to win in this Western Conference. But, I mean, I think, again, we have this on recording, so I'm going to look dumb when they, be, when they make the playoffs this year. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, that's what I'm trying to get ahead of it right now. I'm, I'm only <laughs> saying Spurs because I do think I thought the exact same thing. It would have to be between the Spurs and Portland. And yes, Portland's makeup as far as their roster construction is better, but I still think Papa just is the superior coach over most others in the Western Conference in general. And with that coaching as well as two star players in DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge, however you think of them, that's who they are. San Antonio, with their system and that type of um, – trying to think of the right word, but let's just say superior player – in those two who could take over a game in stretches when needed, I think will carry them out in a way that the Spurs honestly didn't have um, in earlier years, especially when Tim Duncan started declining as well as Mungenobly. They could trust the system, but they didn't have that one player who could up and lift them and take them over the top and just get points for stretches and, and be someone that they could really lean on for a while, which is why the Spurs even got LaMarcus Aldridge to begin with. So now you bring in a younger DeMar DeRozan, who, again, I also believe in the human element of the game where – he he's 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 coming for the kill. He has he has revenge on his side. He didn't want to be traded. You know he's he's out to prove that he's still an all star. I think that these types of thoughts or that type of um the mental side actually matters. So I think with that, and yes, injuries have depleted them, and shooting is is a very real issue. But when does that stop San Antonio before? That's true. And listen, I, I think I'm gonna look probably look pretty dumb come April when they're in the playoffs. But right now, I guess I gotta stick with my guns. I mean, they can't change my pick yeah, now. I, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, Eric will not be moved. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, so let's move on to our next question from Forrest Walker um, at Donuts on uh, Twitter at D U N O T S. Um, which teams need to hit the way too early panic button? And honestly, I just like couldn't come up with an answer to this. I think, as he said, it's way too early. I feel like there are a couple of small aspects of a team that kind of, you know, you should be alarmed by. I think that the Hawks defense is going to be a real problem. But again, they don't really care since they're all in on, you know, that rebuild and kind of tanking for that matter. Uh, I think the same thing goes with the Kings, who don't even have their first round pick. They just gave up 149 points today in regulation to the Pelicans. Um, wow. I think that, you know, you could say like the Rockets. Um, in the sense that they, yep, I would. In the sense that they can't relax their way through the regular season and, and expect to win sixty games again. Like I feel like this roster, you actually have to work a little bit harder to maintain that number two seed, especially with those teams behind them. You know, getting better and playing better. Um, again, it's been one game, and I think that the Pelicans 
are that team this year that's going to like go three and one against Houston. I think that the way they match up is is they can kill the Rockets switching. They've got Randall as a six man kind of you know flustering teams off the bench. Um, again, it was one game, and we'll see what happens. Like if the Rockets and um, like the Grizzlies got blown out on opening night as well. Like if those teams got blown out in like January, we probably would just like brush it aside. Like oh yeah, it's part of the part of the regular season. But because they got blown out um, on opening night when all the attention's there and all the optimis- optimism is there, it's like oh my god, what's going on? This is chaos. It just could be that performance from January that just happens to happen in October. So I don't want to pound the uh, panic button for the team overall. I just want to you know kind of I think that was a good reflection on them knowing that they just can't relax their way through the regular season and kind of expect to win fifty five to 60 games and get that two seed again. They're going to have to work a little bit harder with the teams that were inconsistent last year that are a little bit better, especially in the Western Conference. So other than that, I don't think I think it's too early to say who, which teams overall should actually hit the panic button, especially for those teams that are actually competitive, not like the Hawks or Kings. Um, I just think that there are components of certain teams that, you know, should be a little bit of a warning sign. Exactly. There, this is too much, or not too much, just too little to really go off of anything. I thought that that opening day loss from a, a team that I thought would come out firing after the way that their season ended in the Western Conference Finals would be a lot more um, a lot more jarring, or that they played with a lot more of a sense of urgency. But um, like you said, this is one game, and it's just a bad matchup. I think that New Orleans is a matchup for Houston this year, much like they were for Portland last year, where they just really do all the things that the other team kind of struggles at, you know, counteracting. So yeah. we'll see how it goes. But, yeah, it's pretty much a, a short, succinct answer for that one. Yeah, I agree. All right. Moving on down the line. At Slaughter. Actually, yeah, I'm going to do that. I already said his name. Got to gotta go for it. <laughs> which offseason moves that you thought were bad bore out in the first games, and which did better or worse than you originally thought? Oh, Ooh, that was a tough one for me. Wow, I did not. I'm going to let you go first. I mean, I just have like a couple of small thoughts of like observations from what I watched in this first week. Again, small sample size warning. Um, like we said before, I think that it's possible. Again, it's been one game, so it's really hard to make these claims without kind of like having a smile on your face, knowing that you're just basing it off one game. Uh, but we've got it. we got to yep. fill the content. So um, I think it's possible that the Blazers might may end up being all right with just with Astauskas and Seth Curry and a bigger role for Zach Collins instead of Ed Davis, Shabazz Napier, and Pat Connaughton, who all left. I mean, we all pretty much criticized them for letting those three guys go and replacing them with Curry and Stauskas and just hoping that Zach Collins improves. And in that first game, all of their signings showed – all of their signings, and then Collins, I should say, he's not a signing, um, showed why maybe the maybe the Blazers were actually thinking through these moves. Um, again, Stauskas could probably just fall off a cliff in terms of his performance and just be like stuck to the you know the tenth man for the rest of the season. Curry could get hurt and be inconsistent, and Collins can still show a lot of young development throughout this course of the season. But they all showed aspects of why they signed them and maybe thought that this would be the right way to go in terms of obviously they kept a lot of their team together, but just filled in. Um, that seventh, that eighth, that ninth man from you know from different teams. Um, I think that Rajon Rondo looks to be a better piece for the Lakers than I originally thought. I think that he and LeBron look to have a pretty you know seems to have a strong connection. Um, he's looking to push the pace. He's always after like every foul, he's like gathering up the team for a little huddle there. Um, I can't say the same for for Lance Stevenson and, and Michael Beasley. I think that those signings are still just as puzzling and, and bad as I thought they were when they happened. Um, I just don't understand those two guys. They're not going to shoot threes. They're not really going to give you anything defensively. They're you're kind of blocking. Occasionally, will be blocking playing time for younger players that are better than them. So I still think that those signings are, are pretty bad. Um, 
Going to the East, Tony Parker, I think, had a nice debut game. Um, I think he can be a solid, you know, a solidifying presence for that second unit. I mean, today they blew out the Magic, and he had no points in in 16 minutes, three rebounds, six assists. He was a plus three. He's just a solidifying presence, and basically they had Michael Carter-Williams was one of the worst players in the league last season, so Tony Parker was actually a nice step up for them in terms of their second unit and leading that offense. Um, I'm still winning down my list here. <laughs> DeAndre Jordan. Yeah, um, you really got this one. DeAndre Jordan did not look very good defensively in that first game. Um, and I, I don't know what it was. He wasn't really like jumping. Like he wasn't really, I don't know if it was the athleticism really starting to decline or as we said last year, like he kind of, he had this lack of interest or motivation at playing on a non-playoff team. And that's going to happen again. Cause this team's not going to make the playoffs. So will he suffer from that again? Like, I feel like too soon to say that too soon to say listen, that it's too kidding. soon. <laughs> it really is because it's one game, but that while he provides a nice offensive element for, especially for Dennis Smith Jr. And Luka Doncic, I do think that it's something to keep your eye on in terms of what his, what he's actually giving to this team defensively, which is good, which is going to need it. When you look at the rest of their team, Smith Jr. not a really good defender. Doncic's not that good. Harrison Barnes is okay. You know, Finney Smith is a good defender. Um, Dirk is going to be in their rotation when they come back. So I want to watch that as well. Um, and finally, if we've got to the end of the list, I'm still waiting <laughs> to see if Anthony Tolliver will have as big of an impact as I expected. I mean, he was one of my favorite free agency signings. And in, in the first game of the season, he played 19 minutes and didn't even attempt a three-pointer, which was weird. And then tonight, he put up 11 points and two steals, and his only shot attempts were three-pointers. He hit three of seven on them. And as a team, they only attempted 25 today, and seven of them came from Anthony Tolliver. So it goes to show what he's going to provide for them with their spacing. I can argue, uh, and I argued in an article that I wrote earlier this week, earlier this week on three important uh, role players, is that Anthony Tolliver there's a case for him to start because Taj Gibson was good last year, but if Taj Gibson, you know, declines this year um, or just doesn't fit that well, uh, he was a minus nine tonight, put up 13 points, eight rebounds in 28 minutes. There is a case to be made for Anthony Tolliver to start to just get more floor spacing around Towns, Wiggins, Butler, and Teague. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen, especially from Tom Thibodeau with Taj Gibson being his guy, but I think that you know, Tolliver was one of my favorite free agency signings. If he's going to, you know, jack up seven or eight three-pointers per game and provide that floor spacing, you might want to have that in the starting lineup. So those are just a couple of quick thoughts on basically – those are basically my opening week thoughts on random players in the NBA. That's, that's what this little segment should be called. <laughs> hey, I liked it. I got two players that I think are under the radar that I have liked so far. Um, the Suns had a great, great signing – in getting a uh, contract year, Trevor Ariza, <laughs> I, I sing owes his praise, but he played, he's been playing really well. I mean, again, it, it's one game, but in that one game, knocked down five threes. I think he had what it was. Tw- I don't even have the stats on me right now, which is a shame. Cause I wrote, I wrote him down, but it was a 21, what, points, 28 and six or something. It was uh 21 points, eight rebounds, seven assists. I was right there. Well, look at that. Anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, he showed a lot more off the ball. And I think most uh, most of that's in Igor Kokoskov's offensive scheme to keep the ball moving. The Suns racked up a lot of assists and they have different players at the point of attack to facilitate and move the offense along. But I like the fact that Trevor Reza could do that while still keeping his three-point efficiency high. And yes, with Dallas Mavericks and the defense wasn't the best, but I think he's going to be a great signing for them. Also, the Spurs getting Rudy Gay at uh, another year, um, $10 million, I-, I think it is a great deal for him. And he's played he's played well. I think he's going to play even more, even more so he's going to have a bigger impact than originally thought of just because even more offensive, um, even more lack of offensive options. But from the preseason through this first game against Minnesota, he shot well from the field, shot well from three. He, he's playing like 
a better, more efficient version of him in his heyday, even though he is 32. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think those are some solid mentions. Um, all right, let's end let's end this segment with just a, a fun, weird question from at Pod is Life One: Who wins in a fight? Uh, an Enos Cantor-sized Ron Baker or Ron Baker-sized Enos Cantor? Um, wow. I'll, I'll, I'll go with an Enos Cantor-sized Ron Baker. I think that he's kind of a feisty guy. Like, if you give him the size of, of Cantor, he'll be better than a Ron Baker-sized Enos Cantor who, you know, does a lot of talking, but I'm not sure he actually backs up that talking. So it's a weird question, but I'm going to go with Enos Cantor-sized Ron Baker. See, the funny thing is I think Ron Baker is too much of a pretty boy <laughs> to be getting the fights like that. Like, I don't know if I if – I, I mean, if he's Enos Kander size, then I guess so. He'd just be, to me, a big, soft, stiff. But uh, but what is the, I mean, what a Ron Baker-sized like, Enos Kander is just a small, soft, stiff guy. <laughs> yeah, but he'd have the attitude of, like, a Draymond Green. Like, Draymond <laughs> Green's not, like, the biggest guy, but he's always in these, like, skerfuffles. You know what I mean? Like – uh, that's probably not a good example. I guess you're right. What I a just, weird question. I, I would think it is a weird question, <laughs> and I would think of it more like um, what's his face, Grayson Allen. Like if he was just it, that's what Ennis Cantor would be in Ron Baker's body. You heard it here, folks. He'd be Grayson Allen. <laughs> All right, you heard it here. Right? That is the end. Uh, <laughs> that's a great way to end the full court press. Um, <laughs> and so now we will uh, move on. It's time to take the half court heave segment for those of you who haven't listened to our show before um and since we're only in week one of the season um i think we it's best if we make it a season-long prediction um and with that i'm going to say that both the pelicans and bucks are going to win 50 games each um this might be overreacting a bit to opening week but i did if i remember correctly i did have both of those teams um on the over of 40. I think both of those teams are hit the over of 48 during our division preview. So I've clearly, you know, been pretty optimistic about both of these teams for a while. I think that the fast pace and that dominant front court um, and Drew Holiday should be able to mask kind of a mediocre supporting cast for the Pelicans. I think that their front court, each player brings a different, brings different skills to the table, especially if Randall, hashtag Randall watch is shooting three pointers this year. Um, and then for the Bucks, I mean, it, I think it's going to be a true reflection of how much coaching can impact a team. Um, you know, they did add some players in terms of Ilyasova and Lopez and, and Connaughton, and, and they drafted DiVincenzo, um, but they're gaining most of their value from Bud. Um, even tonight, they attempted 47 three-pointers. The Milwaukee Bucks attempted 47 three-pointers, which is just incredible. Um, and so you unlock Giannis with these shooters around him and these more modern offensive schemes. I think that both of these teams, again, could be overreactions, but both have gotten off to really impressive 2-0 and starts, and I think that both of these teams are going to win 50 games, and that is my half-court heave of the week. All right, well, I mean, that that's bold. I, I'm going to go I'm gonna go with the safe one here and, and say the Lakers are going to get the third seed. Wow, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. There's a lot of teams in the mix. Uh, the, 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 I don't know about the Thunder yet and how, you know, how, how they're playing. Right now they're playing okay without Russell, and when he comes back in, how that all fits together while they search for that extra, you know, perfect wing guy. But I'm out on Houston. I, I've been out in Houston being the second seed, and they kind of do – they are going to have to be that person until, you know, someone knocks them down. But I really don't think they're going to be there. I think the Jazz will be second, and I'm going to think the Lakers have a late surge. Their schedule lightens up tremendously around November 11th where they have the Hawks and the Magic and the Heat and the Cavs and the Jazz and – the Magic again. They have a bunch of teams in the East, basically, and some bottom-rung Western Conference teams that I hope they'll be able to get a win with. 
at, or get a win against just because of the talent that they have on their side. I think using that will kickstart a strong run that'll vault them to the third seed and they'll fight and claw and scratch their way to stay there. So you heard it here. Those are our half court heaves. Though uh, on a regular week to week basis, they'll be more of a, like a weekly or like you know predicting for like a month ahead. But because we have such little to go off of, we just decided to make them season long for this week. And with that, we will move on to our next main segment: the three points. Now let's move on to our three points. Um, I'll get started with my first one. It's kind of just an overarching one. Um, we've been talking about overreacting, and I just have to kind of make sure I don't stress it, stress it enough that we really should not be overreacting to week one or even week two of basketball. Because last season, if you don't remember, the Orlando Magic started eight and four. And it was mainly because of some absurd three-point shooting. And obviously it fell back down to earth. They lost their next nine straight games. And of course they finished with 25 wins. So an eight and four start, they finished with 25 wins. Some performances, I think, will obviously continue to translate during the season. The Pelicans are going to have an awesome front court. They're going to play with a fast pace. Um, the Lakers should be playing with a fast pace, probably have limited shooting throughout the entire season. Like Some of those things will, will be applicable for the entire season. But some outliers can't happen on opening night. Like I said before, you know, the, I gave that example. If the Rockets or even the Grizzlies, if they got blown out by 20 in February or December, we're just, you know, very few people would probably notice that. Um, and it just could be the same bad performance that you're probably going to see by a lot of teams in January and February that just happened to happen on opening night or happened to just happen during the first week of the season. And that's what happens. It's either a really bad matchup, an anomaly, um, an outlier, bad performance, or it will continue to be a trend. But basically, once the Magic did that last season, I was all out on even basically trying to quantify or qualify kind of the first week of the season or even the second week because so many crazy things can happen that will just like even itself out. Um, and so that's my first point. It's kind of really general, not really applicable, but let's just make sure while we're providing analysis and content, let's just make sure we you know do it with a, a grain of slight grain of salt because we can't overreact to one or two weeks of basketball. I like it. I like it. So so my, my first point is concerning the aura of Golden State Warriors and how I don't really think that they're, they're still a dominant team. They're still going to, I don't want to say end up with the number one spot, but they're more than likely, they're favored to get the number one spot in the Western Conference, and they're obviously favored to win the championship. However, I do think that this team is less like teams of, or Warriors teams of years past. 2015, just, just a great team. 2016 and 17, basically striking fear in the hearts of players. 2018, they're bored and kind of just taking it off, you know. But this year, I, I don't. I think that the days of other teams being quote unquote scared of the Warriors are over with. You know, it used to be a couple. You know, the Warriors make a big third quarter run and a couple big daggers from Steph or um, Kevin Durant would just knock the, the fight out of the team. I don't early early returns at least in preseason and, and these two games so far. That, that's not really happening. And there's a bunch of reasons for this. One, the Warriors are weaker than they've been in previous years, uh, particularly at wing and center. Their bench isn't a great shooting bench. And they're starting four, or they're starting four, yeah, they're starting four while otherworldly, there are certain, you know, things you can exploit. Kevin Durant hasn't been as dominant on the defensive end. Draymond Green is still ailing and, and just working himself back into proper game shape. And there's a certain disinterest involved with the team in general. However, I really think that the Warriors should play 
less to play less to a lack of interest just cruising to the finals because I think that teams are really gunning for them and that there are obvious weaknesses in the Warriors that can be exploited if the right team goes at them. To sum it all up, there, there's just a lot going on. It is very early. We've already talked about that many times. There's plenty of season to be played. But I see some real holes in a, in a team that hasn't shown too many chinks in their armor for the past three years that could very, very likely, I mean, it's not likely, but it could happen, come back to bite them during the season. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're going for, I mean, what is it, fourth final in five years or fifth final in, five, in six years? I mean, I think yeah, it's fourth, a three five. Feet? Yeah, they're going, well, first of all, they're going for a three-peat, which is just incredible. But that, that, that puts a lot of strain on you. So you mentioned Draymond Green kind of ailing. You mentioned Kevin Durant just not being a good defender basically anymore at this point. He's just kind of checked out a little bit. You can always attack Curry defensively. Um, you like the, the depth. The wing depth is a problem, especially when nights when Iguodala is not playing or is, you know, just the age catching up to him. Livingston is, you know, getting up there in age. They don't really have any good guard depth as well. The front court has a lot of pieces, but they're not really top end. Like Jordan Bell, I think, should be playing more. Kevon Looney should be playing more. Um, David West was quietly solid for them last season. Obviously, he's retired. So, again, I, I agree with you that those, those chinks in the armor are kind of coming out of the woodwork as the season will go on, and especially will be attacked and with the way they're basically on cruise control for a regular season, they're going to win a lot of games, but they're also going to lose some games that they should win because they're worn down. They don't have enough depth. They don't really have enough shooting outside of, you know, Splash Bros and KD. Um, they got some injuries that they're resting. Teams are kind of amped up, continue to be amped up and probably even more amped up when they see a, an ailing, tired, um, worn out Warriors team coming to their arena as well. So I do agree with you in terms of teams approaching them a little bit differently and then the Warriors just being a little bit weaker. Um, which again, I think it's going to result in less regular season wins. Like they, they'll probably win more than last year because they had so many injuries, especially with Steph missing a lot of time last year. They only won 58. I could see them winning 60 games this year again, but that's just because of so much top end talent that they've got on a nightly basis. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I agree with you. Okay. I mean, it, it, to me, I didn't close out as strong as I had written it down. I had a nice little, you know, a monologue going on before I <laughs> kind of tailed off. But I think all it takes is one injury and teams that, that, that inevitability factor is kind of gone more or less from teams. I mean, you're obviously going to see maybe teams like lower rungs, like the Kings or, or the Bulls or teams of that sort, you know, still be in fear of the mighty Golden State Warriors. But I mean, for example, right now, and this jazz, the Jazz have always historically been a tough matchup, not historically, but in the run of Golden State, in their, in their recent dominance, the Jazz has always been kind of that thorn in their side. But even now, I mean, it's chippy. They're going back and forth. They're, they're not afraid and, and they're not the only team, you know. They they just aren't. So you're right. There are some there are some stuff going on. I just think that anything could happen and that maybe, just maybe, this is the year where, you know, Golden State shows their uh, their vulnerability. Someone will find their kryptonite. All right, I'll move on to with my second point. And I think that it's going to be I think that this season will be a pretty good test for how successful teams can be without three point shooting. Um, and I think the three key examples all in the West are the Lakers, the Wolves, and the Spurs. Now, the Lakers are playing really fast, and they have LeBron James to try and counteract that lack of shooting. But I do think that that lack of shooting will be a key downfall for them on, on several nights and several games this season. I mean, it was one of the key downfalls against Portland, and it probably will be a key downfall for them in a lot of the games that they lose. 
Um, like I mentioned before, I just don't, I still don't, <laughs> I still don't understand Lance and Beasley um, because they won't shoot threes and they're not giving you anything defensively and they don't need other ball handlers on this team. Once you consider they have Rondo and Ball and LeBron and Kuzma can create his shot. Ingram can create his shot after he played a lot of point guard last year. They didn't need more ball handlers that can't shoot or play defense. So again, I do not understand those signings. And you look at it and the Lakers young players are the more willing um, shooters than, the, than a lot of the veterans, like in, in the case of, you know, Josh Hart and Kyle Kuzma versus Lance and Beasley, you know, even Ball versus Rondo. Like, Rondo has become a better shooter that will take shots, but, you know, Ball's obviously willing to jack it up as well. Um, so, I don't know. I feel like why not just take a flyer with a Nick Stauskas on the minimum contract? I think that Anthony Tolliver would have been a really nice fit for the Lakers. Um, again, if they want to do small ball a lot this season, having Tolliver there to space the floor and play some solid defense would have been nice for them as well. Um, you, I mean, I know it's bad for the Lakers. At least they attempted 33s against the Blazers because the Spurs and the Wolves don't even know what three-pointers are. Um, and, they don't, <laughs> and they don't even play at a fast pace. The Wolves were 22nd in pace last season. The Spurs were 29th. Um, and that I don't see any reason why that would actually increase this year. In the season over, the Wolves... Okay, I hope you're sitting down because the Wolves only attempted 19 threes in the season opener. Um, and the wow. Spurs only attempted 25. Um, and then in the game, in the second game they played tonight, the Wolves won against the Cavs and they attempted 25 threes, like I mentioned earlier, with Tolliver attempting seven of them himself. It's interesting because the Wolves actually had an elite offense last season. I'm pretty sure they finished fourth or fifth in the league. Um, and I think that really speaks more to just their natural talent, like a Jimmy Butler, like a Carl Anthony Towns, more to than you can have a great offense without shooting. Because a lot of the times, if you don't have good shooting and you don't have like really top, top, top end talent, like a LeBron or the combination of a Butler and a Towns, you're not going to have that good of an offense. And your ceiling is going to be limited, especially come playoff time, which of course we saw with the Wolves in that first round where the Rockets were jacking up all the threes and the Wolves were just playing this traditional kind of archaic style of offense, which the Rockets were able to stop fairly easily so I think that this season with these three key teams it's what I'm going to, it's what a, one of the key things I'm going to be watching um, this season is a reflection or kind of a referendum on how successful teams can be without solid three-point shooting or at least the uh, appearance of just taking three-pointers on a night-to-night basis um, I'm right that's interesting I think that's a, a, a great study if you were to keep a, a chart and just kind of track you know what team you know, and, and a lot of it comes down to personnel and, and scheme, but that is something to keep track of. And this is a great test to see if, let's say, we could bring the 90s back in this modern NBA. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, that's what it's going to happen. Yeah. Exactly. All right, so for my second point, I, I'm a, I'm going to go down to Minnesota. Um, I'm just, I think one way or another, and hopefully sooner than later, Minnesota addresses the Jimmy, Jimmy Butler situation. Because it's been talked about, you know, officially Miami's... Um, negotiations have died as Pat Riley has withdrawn any and all offers off the table. Minnesota Timberwolves still had to play. Jimmy Butler still wanted to obviously get in there. And they and they had a nice win against the Cavs that was a lot closer than it had any right to be, and Jimmy Butler bailed them out. But it, it, it's just a lot of tension bubbling under the surface for a team, and I don't think that the strategy that Glenn Taylor, Tom Thibodeau, and Jimmy Butler have in place right now is conducive to team-winning Long term, not only right now, if the Timberwolves are still trying to make the playoffs, but also long term, if and when Jimmy Butler is traded, what the plan is going to be. Because from what I've been able to gather, Glenn Taylor has said, hey, listen, Jimmy, you're going to play. We're going to do the best we can to work the trade out for you until then just give all you can to the team. That sounds all well and good if he was on contract for like 
another year and a half, I'd want to say. But the problem is this. It's not even the contract that's the issue because all, all, all in all, I mean, free agency is looming. But also, you're asking him to gel with a team that you know is going to be broken up at some point in time in the near future, in that coming season, in which case all of that gelling is going to be totally different because the team's going to gain a whole new chemistry with a player or several players to fill in that void and that gap. And then will the um, expectations change with that? I don't understand. And at the same time, it's already showing itself or the negative effects of it in one player, notably Carl Anthony Towns. He had a dud of a game opening night, opening night for them against the Spurs. I think he had like four players outscore or, or take, attempt more shots than him. He had something like eight points and six rebounds in 22 minutes, and he fouled out. And I'm not saying that it's all Jimmy Butler's fault or the tension is the sole reason for it because he did play better today. He had um, not much better though. 12, not much better. 12 points and nine rebounds, but he was still tied for. I mean, he was tied for third in most shots, just ahead of Jeff T. Mind you, Andrew Wiggins is going to chuck, and Jimmy Butler was mad efficient, but. You're taking slightly more shots than Anthony Tolliver, Tyus Jones, and Derrick Rose. Three more shots than Anthony Tolliver, and four more than Derrick Rose and Tyus Jones. And you're the number one player and the best player on the team. That's just not how it's supposed to work. And I think that that is a failure on a number of levels, from top management down to Tom Thibodeau as coach, to really say, listen, this is what we have to do, make a move, pull the trigger, and go from there. So I'm... Maybe not this week, maybe not next week, but sooner or later, especially if the Timberwolves really want to go somewhere with their season, and, and I would imagine that the hope is to still make the playoffs, they have to do something, and they have to do it soon, especially in the Jimmy Butler situation. Yeah, I mean, like we said earlier, it, it's a mess. I mean, you've got a game where Butler's getting booed, the Thibodeau's getting booed, um, and then he goes out and he plays really well, of course, because he's a you know a really great player. And then he's getting MVP chance, and they're going to win some nights. They're going to lose some nights. They're eventually going to have to trade him. I mean, it's such a mess there. Um, and it's actually kind of a smooth, somewhat smooth transition to my third and final point of the week because I'm touching upon. I like when I can do that. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. touching upon a player that was in hot, hot in the rumors for potential Jimmy Butler trade. That is Josh Richardson. Um, and I'm going to combine him with Karis Levert. Um, both players seem pretty prime for for breakout seasons. I want to kind of I want to hitch my wagon to them now before everyone else gets on board. Um, so well. far for Richardson, let's start with him first. So far in the two games that the Miami Heat have played, 24 and a half points, four and a half rebounds, and four assists per game. Um, really, really, really impressive numbers, offensive numbers. When you you factor in that he's playing some solid defense so far, I think it's slipped up a, a little bit. So far, again, when he's having such a big offensive role. The other concerning thing is that his poor shooting and inefficiency is only shot 33.3% on three-pointers. And for, so far in two games, has a 52.3 true shooting percentage, which is, is, is not horrible, but it's it's definitely not good at all. Um, but listen, I, it's really what's going to come down to is he's going to have a huge role this season. Um, and if he can provide that kind of offensive production or even just like 20 you know, 20 points, four rebounds, four assists per game, and get that efficiency up a little bit um, while maintaining that above-average defense. Listen, I mean, I, I, I mean, if you're Miami, you probably pull the trigger, but I would have some hesitations about trading him for Butler based on Butler's age and his next contract because um, you got J, you got Jay Rich locked up for another three years at what, like 10 million per year per average, I think. Um, so if I'm Minnesota. I mean, I think I get back on that phone and try and get that that, that deal that was uh, rumored by Mark Stein. That was Josh Richardson, a first-round pick, and some salary filler for Butler. Um, That's a good deal. 
I mean, I think it'd be a pretty good deal for both sides, especially with what we've seen from, from Richardson so far. Um, I, I mean, I know Jimmy Butler has been awesome himself so far, and he's still a top 12, 13 player. Um, and look, this could be two kind of anomaly, uh, anomalies for, for Richardson in terms of his performance, um, but also could be a sign of things to come with a bigger role in Miami. So, you know, and, and just development as a player. Um, and then finally, looking at Karis LeVert, First game of the season, put up 27-4-4, um, 55.6% shooting from the field, which is great. And then he followed that up tonight by putting up 28 points, 6 rebounds, 5 assists on 61.5% shooting from the field, including the game winner against the Knicks. I mean, he, he's shouldering a big offensive role in really impressive fashion so far. And, and the key thing is that he's getting to the free throw line more. He's, he's attempted 19 free throws so far this season. Um, so uh, just two players that again, I think are both primed for bigger roles and are at that stage of the career where they're 24. I think Karis LeVert is 23, but I'm going to look it up right now. But they're both at that age where, you know, it's not shocking that they continue to, to make development. Um, yeah, LeVert just turned 24 in August. So they're both around the same age, both in similar situations of getting bigger roles. Um, and both, again, were, were players that were rumored for Butler trades, especially when the Nets were a team that was early on a candidate for Butler then kind of pulled out. But two players that look pretty prime for breakout season. So I want to mention that now and obviously keep an eye out them for, you know, throughout the season. I'm, I'm, I'm right there. That's wow. Those are two good players, especially I really w- was hoping that Josh Richardson would go to Minnesota, not only because, you know, small sample size and whatever have you, he's 25 on a very good contract for three more seasons. You saying you can't build that along with Carlton Towns and Andrew Wiggins just, just off the top. Yeah, I mean, the cheaper value you get from him. Listen, I think two, exactly. two years from now, there is a. Even as recently, if, if Richardson keeps this up and Butler declines, you know, in a, in a kind of Thibodeau style fashion of just, his, just the minutes and the load and the injury comes, you know, you know, catches up to him, I don't think it's crazy that next season or, you know, the 2020 season, Richardson could be a straight up better player. And then if you factor in the contracts, for sure, we'll be providing more value for the team in terms of, you know, getting his value at 10 million or 11 million per season versus Butler at 30 plus million dollars per season when he's, you know, 30, 31, 32. Exactly. It's, it's not even really a debate unless you're a uh, Tom Thibodeau. <laughs> but um, I'm going to go on to my third point. And, which is and the, that wait, wait, concerns... which Thibodeau's, the huh? opinion, Thibodeau's opinion is the only one apparently that matters. So unfortunately, uh, he doesn't uh, <laughs> disagree with us. I was going to say it has. He, he calls all the shots here. We have no hope. <laughs> so my third point is concerning a certain Kemba Walker down in Charlotte. And, and let me tell you, Kemba Walker, man, he's come to play. It, it's still early, and I hate using that caveat, but it is, come on, day three of the NBA season? You kind of have to. Through two games, Kemba Walker's averaging 33.5 points in 32.5 minutes a game. That's crazy. Shooting 51% from the field, 53% from three, 4.5 assists per game. He just kicked off his first... Uh, the season opener with the Hornets with a uh, scorching 41 points on 50% shooting, but from both the field and three, it's crazy. And this is why, and I don't even think it's really a hot take, but I think the Hornets should immediately start fishing around and shopping for better offers to get him out on the market. Because as well as he's been playing, I mean, you would think after 41 points on that efficiency that the Hornets might've pulled out their first game against in a team. I mean, it wasn't – they would have put out a game against the Bucs team, though, mind you. They, they took James Borrego making an inspired move to go small ball to even get the Hornets to call back into that game. 
but they had a chance to win, and Kemba Walker put them in perfect position. And today they just blew out a, a bad Magic team just because the rest of Kemba's teammates had to show up. But when you look on this roster, you have Nicholas Batum, you have um, Frank Kaminsky, Cody Zeller's a good piece, you have Jeremy Lamb, Mike Kidd Gilchrist, Marvin Williams, all on contract for a couple more years. Bismarck Biombo's up and down there. You have two young pieces that you can grow and, and develop with in Malik Monk and Miles Bridges. If you trade Kemba Walker while he's playing like this, while his value is still high, maybe you can fish, you know, a blue chip or, or, or some picks to, for the future to kind of build on with the team on a rebuild. Because right now, as currently constructed, this Hornets team would be lucky to make the playoffs. They're not even a lock for that in a weak Eastern Conference, much less to make any noise in there. Kemba Walker is said to be a free agent coming up this next season. They, they, I, I doubt that the Hornets want – I mean, Kemba Walker has stated time and again that he wants to come back, that he wants to come back. But if you're the Hornets team and you realize that locking Kemba on a team that is saddled in mediocrity is not going to help them move forward in coming years, maybe it is the prudent move right now to start putting him on the market and take some flyers and see what you can get while he's still dropping high production. Well, I mean, I've been I've been wanting them to trade Walker since last year's deadline, um, when he still had you know a year and a half left, and now you know they're going to get less re- less of a return with him hitting unrestricted free agency and teams not willing to take that risk with him. They should have traded him by now, and now it seems like they're just going to try and run the course, get to the AC this year, make the playoffs, get a little bit more playoff revenue, and re-sign him to a contract that locks him into this team. With Kemba Walker, eight plus, age thirty and a, and beyond, um, on a pretty bad contract, he's a player that I would be concerned about paying that kind of money to in a couple of years from now when he's in his thirties. Um, just his, his his you know size and his style of play and just the wear and tear and the, and the usage and burden that he's had to carry offensively for the past couple of years. But I do agree with you; they should be starting to shop him. They're not going to. Michael Jordan probably won't do that. Mitch Kupchak definitely won't do that. Um, and we're going to be sitting here like with the Timberwolves, Timberwolves situation of just. Like, can we just trade the star and kind of get it over with, I guess? We'll be, we'll be with the perspective. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a good thing that Charlotte is at least a little bit more stable than Minnesota and that Kemba Walker as a star and, and a franchise player for Charlotte is a lot more of a, a less volatile player because things could have gotten ugly. But as they're currently constructed, I, I'm right there. I think me and you have been kind of saying this for a while now. But I think especially with the way he's been playing right now, he is right hot. Yeah. Just throw it out there. If I was playing 2K right now, my player was doing that. Fire up the trade machine. See what you can get. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, let's move on to Something Foul, our fourth segment. Now it's time for Something Foul. I mean, listen, I think the easy one is the Timberwolves. <laughs> I mean, it just uh-huh. we've said it so many times throughout this episode. Their situation's a mess. I think my Something Foul is just like disappointing opening night showings. Uh, I think that's kind of in general, like every year, whenever there's like a couple of teams that, you know, have that optimism, like the Grizzlies, like, oh, grit and grind's kind of back, like, we're healthy, we're gonna, we can make the playoffs this year, and then they go out and get s- slaughtered by Indiana. Um, luckily for the mem- for the Grizzlies, <laughs> they followed it up by killing the Hawks tonight at home. So Garrett they, Temple, baby, listen, Garrett Temple. Garrett Temple, give him some credit, he did put up 30 points tonight, which is probably going to be the highest he's going to score for the rest of his career, um, and... Listen, it looks like the Grizzlies will at least be able to take care of the bad teams um, in the NBA, but they did not look good against a good team in the Pacers. And then, of course, the Rockets, like, playing at home and everyone's pumped up and everything, you want to show that your offseason was good and you just get killed. And, you know, it just, 
everyone's kind of pumped up, you know, everyone's optimistic, everyone's watching, and you kind of lay an egg and, and, uh, as a performance. And, you know, matchup problems, I think, were part of the Rockets game and, you know, maybe for the Grizzlies as well. But the energy overall was just lacking from both teams, which is always disappointing, especially on the first night of the season when everyone's kind of pumped up. So for, for the fans' enjoyment and then for, like, the teams themselves, I think that something foul this week because I didn't want to use the Timberwolves because I feel like it's the too easy of a cop-out for something foul because they could be something <laughs> foul for the next 10 weeks if they never trade Butler. Um, I'll just go with disappointing opening night showings. Okay, I'm actually going with the player, and that player is Mr. Nicholas Batum, mm-hmm. um, and is literally just off of his game one performance, and, I, and game one is an opening night. Uh, he wasn't, I mean, he, he rebounded back in a major way. I'm giving him some credit because the shot did carry over in Orlando. However, game one against the Bucks, five points, seven rebounds, three assists. I'm really just focusing on that last second three, which I do not think got nearly enough vitriol for just just how bad it was. The clock was running down, or, or the Hornets were down by what one point if I remember? Yeah, one thirteen. They lost by one point. They were down by one. Ken Walker goes for a drive, you know, just misses it. He did shoot over double coverage. The ball gets bounced around. It finds its way to Nicholas Batum. Now, mind you, Nicholas Batum has had three straight years of sub, um, thirty sub thirty uh, sub thirty four percent from three, thirty three point three, and then thirty three point six. And I mean, this this season doesn't count. But he he's he's at his career a thirty five percent three point shooter, pretty solid. He was wide open, and I'm not even saying that he should have made shouldn't have made the shot. I get it. I mean, is it fifty fifty? You know, it, I'm all that. It was the way that he missed it that just had me just heated. The dude's wide open. He set his feet up. He scored his shoulders up. Did you see how bad that brick was? Oh, my God. You, you, you did see how bad that brick was. It was like when, I mean, you're in New York. You know how it is when it gets, I don't know, November, and you're trying to shoot the ball, and it's a little bit windy outside, and the ball just has a mind of its own. That's what it felt like when he shot that ball. You're a professional NBA player. You are wide open. You're telling me, what, what was that? I, I I had to say something foul. That shot was foul. It looked foul. The re- the reaction was foul. And the sad thing is your teammates were jumping around like that was going in. Not only did it not go in, it didn't have a prayer. I- I'm sorry. That 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 you have to give some context to it. What did you think, Eric? But that was all the way foul for me, man. I mean, I think maybe the worst part of it, I mean, besides how how poorly he missed the shot, was that they would have completed like a 20 or, what was it, 25-point comeback. Like, that would have been an awesome opening night on that retro court. Uh, start off the season strong, beat a, beat a solid playoff team in the Bucks with a 20-point comeback using small ball, modern offensive schemes now that they have with James Brego as coach. Um, and then they would have followed it up with a nice win against against the Magic and got off to a nice start in the season. Like just to co- make that comeback and then fall that short on an open three like that, miss, missed in that kind of fashion was so so disappointing. Uh huh. I, I had to. There was all the hate for that. You, I mean, you wasted a great performance for Kemba Walker, who I think tied um, with Glenn Rice for most forty point games in a in a Hornets uniform with ten. Yeah, it was just an amazing performance. It was great coaching move. All that gone to waste, and not because you missed the shot, but how that shot was missed. That's my foul. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our final segment of the episode. That is the and one. Now let's look forward with the end one. Again, for those unfamiliar with our show, the end one is pretty much just something we're looking forward to for the next week until our, our next episode um, can be, you know, a player to watch if a player is playing really well or struggling, or maybe a team is playing really well or struggling and what their upcoming schedule is. Um, or in this case, I think both of us 
have this Rockets-Lakers game, which will be played tonight, since you're listening to this on Saturday, October 20th. Um, Rockets-Lakers tonight, 10.30 Eastern time on ESPN. Uh, I think that there are two key things, of course, is just interested to see how the Rockets respond after getting you know embarrassed at home. Um, but really how they respond playing against another team that was look at, that's looking to push the pace because a lot of the requ- quotes after the game was Mike D'Antoni saying that they didn't have their legs, they were, you know, get tired and, you know, the second quarter the Pelicans really just, you know, continued to push the pace and the Rockets couldn't keep up. Well, the Lakers, I mean, the Rockets better, you know, tie their shoes pretty tight because the Lakers are going to be looking to run, um, especially at home and this home crowd with this huge environment for LeBron's first LA home game, regular season game, um, I want to see how the Rockets respond with a team that's going to play not not a similar style to the Pelicans, in which case they don't have that front court, but they do have that pace. Um, and I think the Pelicans and the Blakers are going to be one and two in some order of, of pace of play this season. So I want to see how the Rockets play against them as well. Um, and then, of, of course, you have to add the intrigue of, of Lakers and LeBron home opener, ESPN national television, a lot of attention. Um, so, you know, you have anything else to add on this game? Oh, no, it's going to be electric. I've heard less rational people compare that atmosphere to something like Game 7 of NBA Finals. I'm not going to tell you who. Actually, yeah, I will. It was Byron Scott on the jump. Oh, but God. um, <laughs> Let's not go that far. It, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you should have seen Zach Lowe's face when he said that. Anyway, just the atmosphere of it, you know, as soon as LeBron starts putting the ball in the net, it's it's going to be insane, the amount, of, the amount of the roar of that Sables crowd, man. That feel... Two good, at least one good team and one very interesting team with an all-time great player. Nothing much more to add. That's literally going to be the highlight of my weekend. Yeah, and I mean, I want to add a little bit context after this game because this is obviously going to get the attention, but both of these teams have interesting kind of opening week schedules, and in which case the Rockets, after this really intense game, that's, I mean, it's most likely going to be an intense game, they have to go the next night and play the Clippers, obviously in L.A., so in the same arena. Uh, a back-to-back is, is never good, and especially when you consider the fact that they've had two days off um, and we know what LA nightlife can do to a team, um, so that's concerning <laughs> yeah. as well. And then they, LA nightlife undefeated. That's true, and they follow that LA back to back with home games against the Jazz and the Clippers again, which is a weird, you know, schedule um, quirk right there. Um, so those are, t- I mean, those are all, you know, those are all teams that are going to win probably around forty games or more. In which case, the Jazz um, have a chance at winning fifty games. The Lakers are going to be a good playoff team as well. And then for the Lakers. They followed the Rocket game up with games against the Spurs at the Suns and then Denver. So you got the Spurs and Denver, you know, two potential playoff teams. The Suns look to be improved as well. So I want to see how these teams get off to these, you know, these starts this season, especially based on their opening night or their first game, you know, losses. The Rockets got embarrassed, now followed up against four teams that are, are good. And, you know, the Clippers case are, you know, solid, you know, veteran team that could be competing for the playoffs. And then the Lakers... Obviously, get a big test in the Rockets, a solid test in the Spurs, a, a weird team that's I'm still we're still trying to figure out, and the Suns on the road, and then a Denver team that you know they played a lot in the preseason, and Rock, Lakers Denver has kind of been a rivalry over the past season, and Denver looks to be a solid playoff team as, as well. So beyond Rockets Lakers, which is my end one, I guess a, a subplot of my end one is is these looking past that game for both teams and how they really start off their first five or so games of the season. I'm not as cool as Eric. I didn't bring an and one to my and one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's on a whole nother level. 
Exactly. I'll get there someday. <laughs> all, right. Uh, all right. So that'll wrap up our first episode of, of the in our first in season episode of the 94 NBA podcast. Of course, follow us on Twitter. You can follow me at Eric Sparrows MBA. Follow us um, at the 94 underscore on Twitter. Uh, check us out on Instagram. Um, just search the 94 feet. Uh, check us out on Facebook. Um, just search, search the 94 and then our new website, of course, if you missed it a couple, a week ago, um, is, um, the 94 feet.com. So check us out there. We got a lot of great content as well. Um, and Corbin, you can always tell people where they can follow you at Corbin Ford NBA. Y'all listen to me, follow me there. All right. I- I'm there. I'm also the 94. We already talked about that. We're everywhere now. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, content dropping every day. Good discussion pieces. We're having fun. Join the party. Exactly. So make sure to follow us. For episodes of the podcast, for our written content on our website, you can get it all through at the um, at the ninety four underscore on Twitter, and then of course we still promote our content on Facebook and Instagram. So follow us there. Um, stay tuned for when we ask for questions for the next full court press segment next week. Um, look forward to the to our and one games, uh, the Rockets Lakers game tomorrow, and then you know the following schedule for both teams. And we will ba- be back next week with another episode of the ninety four NBA podcast. Take care. All right, y'all. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.